We are entering into the conclusion of James's letter here, which again, as he's been writing, his aim is maturity. Maturity in the life of the believer. He's writing to a group of people who have obviously been dealing with some things, having some arguments, having some struggles, and, uh, and, and all throughout this book uh, has been calling them to more, has been calling them to deeper maturity. And, and, and as we've seen, not always in the easiest of ways, right? I mean, he starts out in James chapter 1, let me remind you, that he says, consider it joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, not if you encounter trials of various kinds, but when you encounter trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith produces endurance. And now he's waited till James chapter 5, he's waited till almost the end of his section to bring up a topic that, that I don't think I've preached about in the four and a half years that Summit has been a church. Sure, we did a capital campaign in 2020, but I don't, I don't even think then we really talked about this topic. And the topic is money. So before we dive into this, we thought we'd do something different. We're going to pass a couple of offering baskets two or three times, and we're just going to ask you to empty everything into them today. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Okay, and we're not doing that. But we are going to talk about money because here it is. And for some of the church skeptics in the room, right, you just tuned us out because you've been waiting for this, right? You've kind of been dating Summit for a season and you're like, okay, here it is. Here's where they want your money. Let me tell you the premise of this, right? The premise of this is that, and, and you need to hear me very clearly here, God does, God's not after your money. I am. No. Um, <clears throat> we are not after your money. Okay? Contrary to popular belief, and there may be some churches, I can't speak for them, I can speak for this church, right? We're not after your money. God's not after your money. Although Scripture speaks a lot about money. You know why? Because more than your money, God's after your obedience. The whole heart in these first verses in James chapter 5, as, as James's aim, again, his main theme is maturity, is that we would honor God with every part of our lives, including money. As gas is creeping up, as prices are increasing, as all of these things, right, living costs money. So money should be, if it's not, you need to tell us how you're living, Money is a part of every single one of our lives, right? This means yes, this means no. Come on, y'all, come on, right? Money, take a deep breath, it's going to be okay, all right? We're going to get through this together, right? But money is a part of every bit of our lives. And if, we're, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's why we work. I mean, if we didn't have to make money... Right? It's why we work. Amy's over here. Yep, I just dealt with a bunch of kindergartners all year long so that Rob could eat breakfast. No, right? And, but, but we have to make money. And so here in God's Word, it's not talking about making more money. James is not talking about making more money. He's not talking about paying off debt. He's not, he's not the Dave Ramsey of, of the book, right? The, the Bible is speaking to our attitude about money. What's our attitude when it comes 
to money. James says here that how we treat people, our fellow workers, our leisure time, speaks volume about our character. And so we see in these first six verses of James chapter 5 that money matters. Why? Because it tells a story about what's important to you. Let's look at it. James chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What a blessing! This passage is, amen? So cheery. So cheery. James is writing to this group of believers. Now again, he's writing to the church. He's writing to a group of people that that profess Jesus, that profess Christianity. And he's saying, your past has caught up with you. Remember those people that mowed your fields and you didn't take care of them? Yeah, they're crying out and their cries have reached God. And so God's calling you to a meeting. Is what James is talking about. And James writes this again as a warning because because it's twofold. As we read Scripture, we've got to read it in the context that it was intended for, right? And so as we read this, we read it in, in James warning and calling these believers who had some people mow their fields that they didn't take care of and they and, and considered fraud. He's calling them to repentance. But then also, as we read it in 2022, it, we need to read it as a warning to check our lives. How are we spending money? How do we see money? How are we paying the people that we owe? Right? And so we have to read it twofold. We have to read it, yes, as the warning that it's intended to be, but also as how can we apply this to our lives? So James, the most practical book in the Bible, what he's preaching about in our text is the Lord of Lords. This continuation of chapter 4 that, 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 that Jesus is the Lord of everything, including money. Now, the problem wasn't, hear me now, the problem wasn't, and the problem isn't, again, twofold, that wealthy people were sinful. That's not the problem. Okay? The problem is if you're sitting in this room and, and, and you're wealthy, the problem is not your wealth. The problem may be that your attitude behind your wealth. Like, that could be the problem. But the problem is not the wealth itself. The, the problem is not that wealthy people are sinful. The problem was that God was blessing his people. And God's people were hoarding the money that God blessed them with. And so we must see today, as we look at this text, our attitude about money must come from a proper biblical perspective about what? Who is the Lord? 
of money? And more importantly, who's the Lord of our lives? Who is the master of our money? So you ready? You good? All right, for the two of you that are still with me. Let's look at ver- the first three verses. All right, if, if, you don't, if you don't hang with me, we will take that offering, okay? All right. <clears throat> the prophecy, we're going to look first at the prophecy about money. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the mem- miseries that are coming upon you. Uh, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. <laughs> what? You have laid up treasure in the last days. I love James' you know, subtle, just subtle things there. Here we see that money speaks. Or more, more simply, money talks. Money speaks volumes about people and what their attitude is about money. The Bible teaches that we're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Psalm 62.10, the Bible says, If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Do not set your heart on them. That is, if God entrusts us with more, we should never take our focus off what the Lord wants and put it on our wealth. Here, James warns us of what God will do if we put our trust in bank accounts and not on Him. He gives us a future warning. Well, come now, you rich, the miseries that are going to come upon you. This warning is to Christian believers of chapter 4 who pushed God aside and placed material possessions on the throne as an idol. Anything that we place in place of God is an idol, whether it be our money, whether it be our, our, our possessions, any, any of those things. And what James is saying is that this idolatry will turn judgment, uh, turn a judgment, a misery that is coming upon them. That's coming upon them. And so what's, he's, what's, what's James' aim here? Come now, he says. He's calling them to attention. It means pay close attention to what you're sacrificing and what you're losing. Why? Because God wants us to understand two things. Number one, pay attention to, the, to, to how the wealth was gained. Pay attention to how the wealth was gained. Secondly, pay attention to how the wealth was used. Pay attention to how the wealth was used. Used. See, these businessmen had a business plan in chapter 4 that we read, verses 13 and 14. Come now, tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. If you so they had made plans. They had made plans to go and to make a profit, but their plans didn't include God. And so they had made these plans to go and make a profit, that they would go into such and such a town and make a profit. But the problem with their plans was that it didn't, they didn't include God. See, it's when we try to arrange our future and predict our profit without any regard to the one who knows the future that we're heading for disaster. See, here's the truth. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, if we believe that He's good, even when we're not, then we believe that our needs will be met. Our needs will be taken care of. I, I, I remember someone who was a, um, a, 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 a parachurch um, uh, minister who raising their own support. And they said, they said, we started to see the blessing of God when we stopped worrying about raising our money and just being obedient to God. We, we've seen that as a church. That if we keep God first and we place Him as most important here, He takes care of our needs. Even more, 
even more than we could have asked or imagined. Even more than we could have asked or imagined. Last year, for example, was one of my favorite years budget-wise. 2021, a lot of people said 2021 was harder than 2020 financially and all those different things. Summit Church gave away 25% of what we brought into missions. In fact, it was probably a little bit more than that when you count special offerings and all, all that stuff. I'm not going to look at our treasurer because she's probably... Was that about right? Okay. She's saying sure. So around 25. Let's, I don't think that's a pastor number. I love that. Why? Because we're modeling what Scripture teaches. We're modeling what Scripture teaches. And so... Uh, the second thing we see in, in, in the second part of verse 1 is an admonition when it comes to money. He says, he says, weep and howl for the miseries. Now, this indicates that James is, is, is calling them to a lament and a grief that awaits someone who will disregard God's plan for their life. Weep here is the same word that's used to describe Peter's repentance following the, the time that he denied Jesus three times on his way to the cross. And so, and so James is saying, weep and howl. Miseries refer to hardships that will come upon us as God disciplines his children. And so let's remember that faithful stewardship, tithing and giving to the work of the Lord is not a plea from the church to get money. God is not raising money. What he's doing is he's raising people to do his work. And faithful stewardship builds people, doesn't it? Faithful stewardship builds people. I once heard it described like this. If you want to know what this looks like, very simply, because, because, because a lot of people, you know, but um, 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 they try to explain this away, right? Like, like this is one of those things that people, when it comes to the scriptures and tithing, this is one of, the, if you're a first time visitor here today, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I was talking to somebody earlier. I was like, man, I don't think I've preached on money in like four and a half, five, five years. But this is what happens when you preach the Bible. You've got to preach the whole Bible. It's so fun. Right? But here's the most basic way I've heard to teach tithing. Okay? All right? And I, sh I, should, have brought, I should have brought this up here as a prop because it would have been more engaging. Right? But if I give Mike a dollar... Right? If I give Mike a dollar, because remember, everything comes from the Lord. Again, supremacy of God, sovereignty of God. Everything comes from Him. That job you have, that's a blessing of Him. You, you, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it as much as you think you are that special to, to, to be in the position and the place that you are. Um, that's a blessing from God. That's a blessing from God. That is an example of His faithfulness to you that you get to go to work tomorrow and make a living perspective. Okay? And so when they give you a dollar, which hopefully they're giving you more, minimum wage and all that stuff, they could be in trouble. Okay, right? But they give you a dollar. The response immediately is a dime back. A dime back. That's a tithe. Now, notice what I said there. Immediately. Because many of us treat giving to God as the afterthought, as the leftovers. But that's not the definition of a tithe. That's not the definition of a tithe. The definition of a tithe is the first fruits. Did you catch that? First fruits, not last fruits. First fruits. And so, give Mike a dollar, immediately 10 cents comes back. 
He's got 90 cents left to work with. That's the definition of a tithe. It comes off the top. It comes off the top. Okay? It's not giving God our, 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 our sloppy leftovers, going and spending everything and, 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 and just expecting Him to understand, understand when, uh, when we get to the end of it and uh, we can only give Him a penny. Right? Expecting Him to understand our, 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 our um, disobedience or our lack of faithfulness when, when, we, do, when we do those things. Okay? So again, God's not raising money. God's raising His people to do His work. And faithful stewardship builds people. So, it testifies. Look at the first part of verse 3. He says, uh, Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be, underline this, evidence against you. Evidence against you. Our money, our possessions testify they bear witness against us. The hoarding of wealth bears witness of what? The selfishness of the heart. What happens when we don't allow God to use what He's given us? It will stand as evidence against us. God never intended for anything He gave us to be wasted either by misuse, abuse, or lack of use. Everything He gives, He intended that it be used. God meant that we give all, give our all for His kingdom. All right? And then secondly, it's a tragedy. Look at the second part of verse 3. Bear evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in these last days. You have heaped up treasure. You have laid up treasure in these last days. Here we see a direct violation of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Actually, through 21. Where Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Has anybody ever been stolen from? Right, okay, I'm see, I see those hands. That's a weird feeling, isn't it? That's a weird feeling. Uh, we, we were, in, uh, me, and, me and a couple, I won't tell you where we were because I, I don't want you to get nervous next time you go there, but we were somewhere in Massachusetts. Makes sense now, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> sorry. Man, couldn't resist. Uh, and and, and we, were, we were parked in a parking garage and, um, and, and, Come to, come to find out as we go and leave this conference where, where we were that, that my car had been rummaged through. Like things in the glove box were taken out and just kind of thrown everywhere. The only thing that I noticed was taken. Now, <laughs> out of all the things, the only thing I noticed that was taken was the Under Armour mask that I used to preach in when I was preaching in a mask through, through, through the height of COVID. The smell of that thing <laughs> was horrid. But I'm thinking, this, this person that broke into my car just must have needed a mask way more than I do. And if they're willing to wear that thing that smelled as raunchy as that thing did, they deserve it. They deserve it. But here's the thing. As I was driving home, about two, 
you know, a two, two, two 15 hour drive, right? As I was driving home and kind of the whole week after, every time I thought about that, I felt like there was, I felt violated, right? That's the thing about being stolen. I felt violated. And then, and then as, I was, as I was preparing for this this week and thinking about, okay, okay, this is what James is writing. This is what he's comparing the believers to who are unfaithful with our money back to him. Thieves. I don't want to make God feel like that. Do you? It's a weird feeling. It's an empty feeling. Now, he's God and he's overall. He knows all, all, all those different things, right? But we, we've got to check our obedience when it comes to this. And what James is talking about is in a direct opposition to what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The tragedy here that James is talking about is missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. See, we have a limited opportunity to get the gospel out. We're but a mist. We're but dust. However, if we fail to use our resources here on earth, what good will that do for eternity? If we're stingy and fail to give for the advancement of Christ's kingdom, then we have failed to reach as many people as we possibly can for the gospel of Jesus. Now, that, 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 that may not mean giving here. That may mean when you're, when you're, when you, when you're out to lunch today, blessing somebody. I, 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 I get uncomfortable, but um, we, were in, we were in New York City for Micah's birthday back in January, and, and we were eating at a restaurant, and I don't, I don't know. This is unusual, okay? This is unusual. I wish I had... The, the type of resources to be able to do this stuff more often, but this was unusual for me. And the guy that was serving us that night, I could just tell he was, he was busting it, man. He was working hard. Um, you know, he was an older guy, and, uh, and, 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 and I decided when we got the bill that I was going to bless this guy a little bit. And so I, I don't remember what I, what I put on there for gratuity, but I put a little bit more. And you would have thought I wrote that guy a million-dollar check. I mean, he came back over. He told me a story about him and his daughter and how he was working here as a second job to try to put his daughter through school and all, all these different things. And she was young. And, and he started showing me his tattoos that had to do with faith and all these different He started telling me his story. It turned his night upside down. Turned his night upside down. And you could just tell. That guy needed... That extra 15 or 20 bucks, way more than I needed the Twizzlers and Diet Coke that I was going to buy on the way home that night to, as, as we were driving home. Because Lord knows I don't need any more Twizzlers. Look at me. Okay? He needed that. And it blessed him. It blessed him. Doesn't it bless you when somebody just comes up to you out of the blue and just says, hey, you know what? God put you on my heart this week. Here's 10 bucks. Here's 20. It doesn't matter the amount. It's the fact that somebody thought about you that much and cared about you that much to bless you. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. So, let's keep going. Then we get to verse 4. 
Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. All right, we got, we got, to, we got, to, get, we got to get busy here, okay? We see the second warning here that James is giving these believers of laying up treasures here on earth. The Christian businessmen were cheating their employees. Never happened since, right? And we, we wonder why. Okay, keep going, right? They were cheating their employees by failing to pay them the proper wage and failing to share in the proceeds of the business. They were cheating them. And throughout God's word, throughout the Bible, the Bible condemns the owner that fails to pay a fair wage to the employee. Jesus said a laborer is worthy of his hire in Luke chapter 10. In 1 Timothy 5, the Bible tells us that the worker is worthy of his reward. But notice, when a Christian businessman fails to heed God's word, we see that the owner failed to pay what was really due. He kept back what was really owed. And it has the idea of the business loving its bottom line while the worker failed to make a decent living. And then we see the, the cry of the father that God knows what's really going on. Like God's not going to see our inner workings, our inner business. Their cry had reached the Lord of the Sabbath, God Almighty. And he's all powerful and can do what needs to be done. And then look at verses 5 and 6. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts with twizzlers in a day of the slaughter. Okay? You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now let's get this. Okay, let's, 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 let's shut this down. Then I've got six applications for you. Okay? You ready? Mike's still here. All right, good. Mike, I don't know what I'd do without you, brother. James reminds the church that they've seen the blessing of God in their finances. I was having a conversation with somebody this past week, and it was like, it was like it's amazing how much we know the track record of God and yet are still so disobedient when it comes to money. It's amazing. It's amazing that we've seen God provide over and over and over and over again, and yet when that bill comes, we panic. James reminds the church that they've seen the blessings of God in their finances. They've lived in pleasure and luxury, though, while God's work and their workers have suffered. The third warning is God has judged the attitude of a greedy Christian. As I said earlier, God has never intended for his blessings to be misused. He blesses in the area of finances. Why? So that we might turn around and be a blessing to others. So that we might turn around and be a blessing for others. Money is designed for pleasure and for us to enjoy here on earth. However, we must find God's plan for the money that he has given us. So, as we find God's plan, here's six practical principles that I want to give you. Okay, six practical principles. And let me just tell you, I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm not Dave Ramsey. Uh, I, was, I was walking in and, and somebody who's an accountant, I looked at him and I said, man, you could probably preach today's sermon way better than I could. Right? We're, we're learning this. We're, we're soaking this in as a family. Some, some, some days we do a lot better than others. But if we really want God's plan for our finances, as, as an individual family and as a church body, 
Here's what we got to do. Number one, ask God first. It goes back to what we talked about last week, right? If we want to be faithful to God, if we want to know God's will for our lives, number one, ask Him. God is a relational God. And God is in tune with what's going on in our lives, right? And, and, and here's the thing. When, 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 we were, when we were kids, right, one parent was probably a little more, how do we put this, conservative, and another parent was not. And so were you, when you were in the store and you wanted that, that ice cream bar, which parent did you go to? We knew that, right? But it's not that, it's not that the conservative parent right, didn't want you to enjoy an ice cream bar. It's that they wanted you to go to college. Right? They wanted you to have ramen for dinner. Like they wanted you to... They wanted you to survive, and they knew that you really didn't need that said ice cream bar that you were asking for. And so what did you do? You threw a fit and probably screamed. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Ask God first. We see that we must seek God's will. That always, that always starts with obedience. God has outlined in Scripture, right, that 10%, we've already talked about this, of what He's given us comes back to Him to further His work. One of the best sermons, teachings I've ever heard on money was given by Rick Warren. And it was given to a room full of pastors. And, 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 and Rick was talking about how he and his wife every year made a commitment when they first got married that they were going to tithe more back to God every year. And so they started at 10%. S- second year of marriage, they went to 11%. Third year of marriage, they went to... 12% and, and he said and he said and I wasn't doing this for show because I didn't tell anybody for 30 years that he was doing that. And at the time that he gave this message in 2013 he said my wife and I increased this past year to giving 91% of what we bring in back to God. Now, if you google Rick Warren and you see what his worth is, it's like $25 million. And so 91%, I mean, he's still doing okay. Okay? So put that into perspective, put it into context. But he says something that at first glance, I'm thinking, wow, that's arrogant. Who am I to call Rick Warren arrogant, right? But he said, do you know why God entrusted me to write the number one best-selling book of all time? Again, he's talking to a room full of pastors in Seattle, Washington. He said, because God knew what I would do with the money. He said, I had a 38-year track record of faithfulness back to God. And immediately as I'm sitting on my couch in 2013 watching this live, I'm thinking, well, if I had that, I would do the same thing. And it's like he heard me, right? Has that ever happened to you? Where somebody's preaching up here and, and, you're, and you're having the conversation back to him? Well, if, it, if that was me, then I would do, then I would, if I lived like you, Pastor, then I would do, you know, and it's like, and then the next statement, it like just totally makes you feel about as small as an ant, right? The next statement out of his mouth was this. He said, some of you are probably thinking that if I had all that money, if I had the number, that I would do that too. And he said, no, you wouldn't because you're not being that faithful now. 
I turned my TV off. I was done with Rick Warren after that. <laughs> Unbelievable. And he talks about, he, because he's talking about that the antidote of the lust of the eyes is generosity. It's generosity. It's generosity. And so ask God first. It's all about faithfulness. Number two, having a clear conscience. Having a clear conscience. We must, we must, look at your chamber and say must. Must. We must have a clear conscience regarding past business dealings. Any, any past business dealing cup of coffee or something like that, or if we have harmed someone else by failing to give them what we owe, failing to give them what we owe. If we are going to find God's plan, then we must deal with our conscience. This includes any and every financial situation that might be left unresolved, that might be left unresolved, that having a clear conscience and, and the things that we're spending and the things that we're borrowing and all, all of those different things. Um, I, was, I was taught at an early age that don't, don't let anybody borrow money that you, don't, that, you, that you expect to get back, right? And be, be, because the reality is it's 50-50 on whether you're going to get that back. And so, anyway, let's keep going. Right, we got to keep going. All right, number three, put others first. That if we're going to find God's plan in our finances, we've got to put others first. See, we want freedom in finances. But if we want freedom in finances, we must be willing to put others first. We must be willing to put others first. Simply put, we sacrifice in order to help others and that we don't profit at the disadvantage of others. Again, this is a question of attitude. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You want to know one of the biggest parts of worship in gathering on a Sunday morning is what happens in that little metal, metal bucket on the way out the door. Lord, help us if that ever becomes mundane or routine. Because as we walk by that, or, or, or now with, with online giving, I, I, get, I get so, um, I, was on, I was on a church website this morning and looking at, looking at all the ways that you can give. You can text a number in and, and, and put this code and put the amount and you can give through texting and all of this. And, 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 and part of me struggles with this. Hear, hear my heart here because we've got all those ways to give as well and we encourage you to give online because there's not as, I don't know why we do it actually, but we encourage you to give online, okay? I'm so far removed from that stuff. But, but for me, but for me, but for me, the act of worship, there's a church in Dominican Republic called EB. They're right in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. And they make giving one of the most central parts of their worship service. They have boxes set out all over the room. And, and as part of their worship service, they have a pastor get up and pray. And then people, and, 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 and the most beautiful thing is most of it's families going together. And dropping their envelope in the box in front of everybody else. You know why that makes us uncomfortable? Because we're so stingy. If we did that, right? Well, you're trying to guilt people into giving. No, we're not. We're trying to give you an opportunity to worship. Out of the first fruits. Well, I give once a month. That's okay. If people are judging how often you're going down there and keeping tally of that, they've got an attitude problem they need to work with. Right? 
And so as we go, one of, my, one, of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful acts of worship that happens in this room happens in that metal bucket. Or happens in your, in your prayer closet as you give on an app or a computer screen or what have you. Right? Again, we're not after your money. We're after your obedience and faithfulness. Hear that very clearly this morning. Hear that very clearly this morning. Okay. All right. Keep going. All right. Put others first. Uh, number uh, four, spend time wisely. Time, talent, treasure. Uh, when we teach these three in base camp, and, and, and um, one, of the, one of the things that I think uh, has shifted in our church culture over the years is that time used to be, excuse me, money used to be the hardest thing to talk about. I think now it's time. Because people are more stingy with their time than they are their money. If I can just pay you off so that you'll stop asking me to come set up on Sunday mornings, then I'll do that. Tell me how much it costs. Because I don't want to come in at 7.30 and then have to have that gap hour to try to figure out what, what I'm going to do with it. Do I go to breakfast? I don't really have time to go to breakfast. There's always a way to blue pig, especially, you know, all, the, all these different things, right? I guess I can go, you know, I, get, you know, I can do all these. If I don't have to fight that battle of time, I'll pay you off. I'll pay you off. Don't ask me to serve. Don't ask me to volunteer. Let me just pay you off. Right? And so, and, and so today, in 2022, the biggest thing we have to steward as well as money is our time. Our time. And spend time wisely. Spend time wisely. We must limit our time devoted to making money. If we spend all our time focused on how much money we have and how we can make more of something or, uh, than something or someone else, right, all those, those things are being neglected. See, I, I, heard, I heard somebody give me a, a piece of advice one time. They said, they said, work hard now so that you can play hard later. Work hard now so that you can play hard later. And the whole point was work 80 hours a week now so that you can, so that you can um, not, so that you can retire eventually, so that you can, so that you can play later, right? And, 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 and I, I did not heed that advice. Because I like my kids now. And because my kids need a father now. Studies are showing now that kids' character is fully developed by the ages of seven or eight years old. So that means my son Ezra, who's about to turn seven next week, I've got like another year to try to teach him manners and character that are going to take him for the rest of his life. And if I'm not present in those first seven or eight years in my kid's life, where are they learning that stuff? And I don't trust Daniel Tiger to raise my kid. Or the Blues Clues dude. Or anybody else. A Sunday school teacher. A day, I mean, I love daycare workers. God bless you. You're amazing. And, and, and you're essential and all of those things. But when, when daycare's over, when school's over, I live for the last day of school. Because then I get my kids and I made a commitment 11 years ago when I became a senior pastor, whatever that means, senior lead, whatever. When I became a pastor of adults, <laughs> that I would love my kids more than I would love the church. And that's hard sometimes because I like you. And some of you want to take me out to coffee and buy me, and, and buy me coffee and all that stuff, and, and, and I'll take you up on that eventually. But if I'm not shepherding 
the five of those people really, really well, I'm useless to you. I'm useless to you. We've got to spend our time wisely. And so, and so embrace that now. Embrace that now. Figure out a way at the end of the day that you can shut off the work stuff and be fully invested in your kids. That's one of the things. You want to know how much I know about softball? Zero. I've learned a little bit on YouTube, right? But one of the things I loved most about this spring was coaching softball. You know why? I can't answer the phone in the dugout. When I'm standing on the third baseline and I've got a batter up to bat and they swing the bat, I can't look at a text message. Sometimes I had to because the real coach, my wife, Kristen, was texting me changes I needed to make and things I needed to do differently. And so I would kind of sneak it on the way back to the dugout. But I think it was last night I was talking with, with Micah and, and, and Bria and they said, you know, you know the reason we love you coaching us is because you get to be with us. Excuse me while I go weep. Right? That's a priority. That's a priority. So spend your time wisely. Okay, number five. I think we're in number five. Two more. Two more and a quote, and then we're done. Okay? Avoid indulgence. Every, every, every one of us must be careful to live within our means. This is huge. The reason some of us, um, the reason some of us struggle is because we're trying to accumulate stuff here on earth rather than laying up treasures in heaven. And so many today see something they like, and we have to have it. I want what I want, and I want it now. And if that attitude, hear me, hear me, hear me, if that attitude is never questioned, then we are headed for financial bondage. That if we constantly see something we like, and we have to have it right in that moment, if that attitude is never questioned, if we never tell ourselves no, if we never walk out without that thing, then we're headed for some bondage. We're headed for some bondage. You could add here, avoid overindulgence, right? I mean, but, but, but the point is this, everything in moderation, right? You want to go to Beals? Go to Beals. You start going to Beals every night? We should, have, we should talk. We should talk. Right, Rhonda? I mean, we should talk. I mean, I'm just, I, I, I mean, that's, that, avoid overindulgence, okay? Lastly, seek godly advice. Here's the thing. Everyone needs someone. Here's where I'll get an email. I believe all financial decisions as a married couple, and, and I'll add engaged couple here because I know we've got some engaged couples in the room. I believe every financial decision as a married couple or engaged couple should be made together. Because here's the thing. God made two become one so that both need to be involved. And we should also seek out godly men or women, men and women who have been down the road before. God puts those kind of people in our lives. So why not seek them out and seek their counsel? I will never forget the time that my dad taught me this lesson. 
It was a Saturday morning, and he goes out to Sam's. We thought to just get gas. And he comes home with this brand new, awesome. I mean, you got to think that back then this thing was big. Big screen TV that was like giant. It was as deep as it was wide with a Bose surround sound. <laughs> we were taking football to another level. I have never seen my mom that red. And after hours and hours and days and days of, we'll call it conversation, She let him keep it. And I thought to myself, and I may have even asked, I don't remember, because things were a little tense in, the, in those times, and I've tried to block some of that out. Dad, why didn't you just ask? Why didn't you just ask? And a lot of times we don't ask because we're, 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 we don't want to hear no. But sometimes no is the best answer you could hear. And sometimes maybe it's not even a no. But we need to be taught not yet. Let's work towards that. Let's get that. But let's work towards that together. Rick Warren, at the end of his message in 2013, come on, worship team, says this, and I want to kind of just leave you with this. He says, if you don't trust God with your money, you don't trust Him. I see that as a pretty big statement, don't you? That if we can't trust God with our money, then do we trust Him? And so, again, I just want to reiterate this morning that James's aim here, his direction, his desire, is the church's attitude towards their finances. And so my question for you is very simply this. Who's in control of yours? Who's in control of yours? And would you ask God to intervene in the area of money in your life? And then seek out help. Seek out counsel. We've got people in this church, Jeff and uh, Norma and, and others that are Dave Ramsey trained. Dylan's like a Dave Ramsey addict. He's got a picture of Dave in his office that he just looks at every day. But you, I mean, but think about this. Think about this. The two number one principles of Dave Ramsey: save a thousand dollars. Groundbreaking. Right. And pay off what you owe. What? That's a great idea. Right. And so it's not earth shattering. But again, again, if that, that's that's just to help you to meet 
to meet you if, if, those, if those are needs of yours. But, but the heartbeat behind today is, how do you see your money? And would you trust God there? Would you trust God? Would you be generous with your finances, with your resources, with the things he's blessed you with? I don't know about you, but I've had a blast preaching this. And, uh, and it's always a fun topic. But I just want to take a moment and pray before we sing a song. And, um, and just thank God um, for his word and how timely he is. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you care for us right where we are. And I pray that as we look today inward, that we would ask ourselves the question, God, do we trust you with the things you've given us? In Jesus' name we pray.